Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Your prayers, every prayer that you've ever prayed has been stored. It's been, God, he's got it in escrow, in a sense. He, he holds those things. They're precious to him. Because they are things that, when you were at the end of yourself, you cried out to him. And do you think that he takes that lightly? I don't think he does at all. And it's evidenced by the fact that he holds those things. And one day, he's going to offer it all upon an altar. And it's going to come up before him. It's going to be worship. And he is going to answer your prayers. And many of your prayers have been answered. It is either a yes, no, or not yet. Hi everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Prayer and incense are often associated in the Bible. The idea is that just as incense is precious, pleasant, and drifts to heaven, so do our prayers. So here, before anything happens at the opening of the seventh seal, the prayers of God's people come before the Lord. As students of the Bible, we are taught that we can hasten the Lord's coming through prayer. Even as Daniel asked for a speedy fulfillment of prophecy regarding captive Israel in Daniel chapter 9, we too can and should also pray, even so come Lord Jesus. Now let's join Pastor Rob. If you look at Revelation chapter 11, I just want to point a couple things out to you. The mid-tribulation rapture cannot be, and here are the reasons why. The tribulation in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 is blown by the seventh angel. Notice, it says then the, in verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were voices in heaven. So an angel is sounding this trumpet. But what did it tell us in First Thessalonians chapter 4? It says that the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And so this is clearly of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we just looked at, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ are raised as a reward, not as in a judgment. Look at uh, the 18th verse of chapter 11 in Revelation there. It says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. Does that sound like, a, does that sound like the church? No, it doesn't. It's not the church. The church is raised as a reward. It's the redemption of their bodies. It is the earnest of their salvation. Or the the redemption, actually. The earnest is the Spirit of God in us. And thirdly, in the trumpet blast, in this Revelation 11, verse 15, there are many voices in heaven being heard, but there is only one voice heard in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So do you understand that there are completely different things? So there is no mid-trib as far as I believe, based on what I've shown you. And we'll look at this again when we get to Revelation 11. I just wanted to plant that seed now, because as we go forward, you're going to hear about that. And so, 
We will look more about that when we get there. Does that make any sense? Maybe I've been spending too much time in study that I look out and I'm not sure. (laughs) So there are three different views. The pre-trib, the mid-trib, and the post-trib. We believe in the pre-trib. Everyone, you know, many have believed that for those reasons. There, there are probably others too. And this is important. It's important. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not appointed us, and Paul was including himself, a member of the church, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you've looked over the scriptures and you've seen that God has always removed his faithful remnant before he brought judgment, didn't that happen in Sodom and Gomorrah? Even though Lot was not the perfect uh, specimen of a Christian, God removed him and his family, some of his family anyway. He wanted to remove them all. The type is all throughout the Bible that God removes his remnant. Wasn't Enoch the seventh from Adam, wasn't he raptured? Didn't the Bible say that he, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God translated him? He took him when? Before the flood judgment came in Genesis chapter 7. But Noah and his family, representing Israel, representing the Jews, going, went through the tribulation. Noah and his family were in that boat for hundred or however, however many days. Uh, the, it rained for 120 days. They were preserved through it. Preserved through the judgment, just like those 144,000 we talked about last week. The picture is very clear. But for any other viewpoint, a mid-trib or a post-trib view, there's very little, very little evidence for that. And so I'll believe that. I'll believe that. Let's look at verse 3 now. It says, Then another angel, notice, separate from these Seven, eight, seven angels. Another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Some people believe that this angel could be Jesus Christ, but I don't believe it is because Jesus is the one who's opening the scroll. Now Jesus comes at the very end when all of these judgments have completed. Then he shows up on the white horse. And then he comes down to earth with all of us coming on white horses following him. Back to the earth after the tribulation period. So this is another angel, another angel. And the prayers of the saints. Isn't that what what it said in Revelation chapter 5 verse 8? Let me read it to you. It says, When he had taken the scroll, when Jesus took the, the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so your prayers, every prayer that you've ever prayed has been stored. It's been, God. he's got it in escrow. In a sense, he, he holds those things. They're precious to him because they are things that when you were at the end of yourself, you cried out to him. And do you think that he takes that lightly? I don't think he does at all. And it's evidenced by the fact that he holds those things. And one day he's going to offer it all upon an altar and it's going to come up before him. It's going to be worship. And he is going to answer your prayers. And many of your prayers have been answered. It is either a yes, no, or not yet. Those are the answers that we get in prayer. 
He either answers it, sometimes he doesn't answer when we want. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's three years, sometimes, and this has happened to me, 10 years, 15 years goes by and he answers a prayer that you prayed back a long time ago that you haven't even prayed in 15 years. He answers that prayer. Hmm. And he does. And sometimes it's just, I'm going to answer that, but not yet. It's not a yes or a no yet. You've got to wait. And boy, there's something in the patience of that that just tries us, doesn't it? In a world of everything, everything is fast, where everything is fast, the food is fast, the technology is fast. We have become accustomed to fast, and we don't tolerate anything where you have to wait. We move on. In fact, web, those who study the web, the, the, the internet, they tell people who are creating internet or web pages that you need to make sure your connection is set so that when people click on a link, it doesn't take very long. Because within a certain number of seconds, if that link doesn't come up, people move on. That's the way it is. I found myself doing it myself. But we need patience, and we have to wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings of eagles, right? They will run and not be weary, and they'll run and not be faint. I butchered that verse, but you get the idea. So this prayer that is offered before the throne of God so precious. And it says, verse 4, In the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, they ascended before God from the angel's hand. From the angel's hand. And then the angel, he took the censer. Now notice what happens here. This is really critical here because something happens here that's never happened before. He filled it with fire, the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Up until this point, these judgments that have been happening on the earth have been peace being taken away from the earth, pestilences and things of this nature. But now we get to this seventh judgment and this first uh, trumpet. And he is going to throw fire from off the altar to heaven. It's going to be a direct wrath of God. It's going to be very directed. It's going to be clinical. It's going to be surgical. It's going to be precision-guided wrath upon a world that has rejected Christ. And could this be Could this be the very prayer that was prayed by those tribulation saints that we read about in chapter 6, verse 10? It says, They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And God is saying, Hang on. Remember what he told them? Just wait. It's coming. When I unloose this seventh seal, it's going to happen. Be patient. My judgment is coming. Verse 6, So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, they prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, notice, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees on the entire planet were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. All of it. All the green grass, a third of the trees. And this trumpet judgment are distinct, again, from the judgments that we saw before because the source of it is coming directly from the throne of God. And believe me, it gets worse and worse and worse. That's why this is such a hard chapter. That's why this whole entire book, at least from chapters 6 through 18, are the most difficult chapters in the Bible. And thank God, you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll never see or experience these things. And how we ought to let this affect us such that we will go out and share 
and warn people. People need to be warned. Nobody wants to warn anybody anymore. Well, if it works good for you, no, baloney. No, this is serious stuff. This is not something that we can just uh, faintly ignore anymore. It's coming like a freight train. This is coming. We need to warn people and tell them. And don't worry if they get scared. I was scared. Fear brought me to the Lord. (laughs) Somebody smile. Just smile with me for a minute here. It, It is. Fear brought me to the Lord. And maybe it did you too. But the changes that this judgment's going to bring will bring ecological and atmospheric disruption that has never occurred before. In addition to the judgment itself, the, the, the ramifications, the ripple effects of it are going to be devastating if time were to go on even further. It's going to get really weird. It's going to get really weird. If you remember, in fact, this reminds me of the plagues of Egypt. Remember those plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians? They were against the things that the Egyptians put their trust in. And most of these things were gods that they worshipped. And the Nile is a perfect example. There were many gods that they worshipped in relationship to the Nile River. And so God, too, will bring judgment upon a world for the things, for the inhabitants of the earth at that time, the things that they have invested in, the things that they've trusted in, other than God, they're going to be, those things are going to come to ashes and cinder. In Exodus chapter 9, go there with me. Exodus 9, verse 13, let me read it to you. This is the seventh plague in Egypt, and you'll find that it's very similar to what we're reading now. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me, for at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. I'll say so. Wow. Now, verse 15, If I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, Then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As as, As yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to come down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now, and gather your livestock, and all that you have in the field, for the hail will come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. If you don't listen to what I'm saying. Isn't that one? You see the grace, even in God's judgment? This is what's happening. And by the way, you better go out in your field because tomorrow it's coming. You better get all your men and your cattle, get them out from underneath all that because it's coming. And he who feared, verse 20, the word of the Lord came among the servants of Pharaoh, made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field. Does this sound familiar? We're seeing it now at the end. Similar judgment. God's going to bring hail mingled with blood. Notice what it says in verse 23. Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, and so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in all of the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck through the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. The hail struck 
struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. You know what this is? This is precision-guided judgment. Goshen was here, and the rest of Egypt is here, and all of these judgments fell on all this, all the Egyptians, but the land of Goshen, it was beautiful. Nothing was happening. Is God specific? Is he able to be precise? You know, I love to bring up that, uh, that historical event of David and Goliath. I love the fact that when David took that sling and he was running, I want to see a replay of that in heaven. Lord, show it to me again. Just loop it. Just loop it. And, and there's David. He's got that leather sling in that pouch. He's got that rock. And he's running toward Goliath, this monstrous, vomitous mass. And he runs, and he's <laughs> running with that sling. And he lets that rock go. And I'm convinced that even if David missed, the Lord would go, he'd grab that rock and hit him right on the forehead. Precision. God is in control. To me, that's encouraging to know that God is in control. Certainly God does not delight in the death of the wicked, and neither should we. But notice, a third of the trees and all the grass burned. It will significantly disrupt the ecology and the atmosphere. Notice in verse 8, the second trumpet sounded, and something like a great mountain burned with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Notice, like a mountain. So here John is trying to describe to us, using a simile, to it's like this. And In fact, in, in Bible interpretation, it's really important that you take things literally unless there is some kind of device being used that makes it obvious that it's not that, that it's not literal. Take the Bible literally, except when it tells you through the choice of words or or, or phrases where you know it's speaking of something real or something that is an image or it's like something. This is one of those things. Was it indeed a mountain that came? No, it was like a mountain. It was probably some kind of meteor, some kind of heavenly body, some kind of chunk of planet that broke off that God is going to break off and send it right down like Babe Ruth to the earth. Or whoever the famous pitcher is. Babe Ruth wasn't a pitcher. Sorry about that. But whoever, who's a good pitcher? It doesn't matter. But anyway, see, it's coming. It's coming to the earth. It's like a mountain. And this rock of some kind is going to fall from heaven. We don't know what it is. But let me tell you this. The impact on the water would certainly flood the coastlines near the part of the world where it comes down. And if it's that big, it's going to disrupt things really big. I remember in... In 2011, we were coming back from Israel on a trip, and uh, Pastor Jeff and myself and Bill Galton and Scott Galton, his son, and the whole group, we were there in the Philadelphia airport. We just flew in from Tel Aviv, and it was on March 11, 2011. And as we pulled into the gate and we got out and we had to sit to wait for our next plane to go to Rochester, we were seeing the, 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 the tsunami in, in Japan unfold in real time. We were seeing video on the screen of the waves just pouring over the... I mean, it was just incredible. Never seen anything like it. And that was just the earth doing like this, underneath the water, the epicenter, the, the, the plates. It kind of jolts a little bit, and all that water is displaced, and it continues to roll and roll and roll. And it says that there were waves estimated to be as high as 38 meters, the height of a 12-story building. An estimated 20,000 people were dead instantly or missing, and close to 50,000 people were forced to evacuate. And this all happened as that tsunami hit Japan. 
in the Indonesia, in that area of the world. And do you understand that this magnitude of whatever this rock is that God's going to throw to the, 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 in the oceans, it is going to be devastating. You think the tsunami that we saw in 2011 was significant? It's going to make it look like it didn't even happen. It is interesting to me that the Jewish form of capital punishment is stoning. You ever notice that? Whenever they were to be killed for certain crimes in the Old Testament, they wouldn't, they wouldn't hang them. They would stone them. And it's almost like God, because he, he, he showed them all of this. He, he gave them these laws, capital punishment. If a man kills a man in cold blood, he is to be killed. If a man sleeps with his neighbor's wife, both of them are to be killed. If a man is caught in a homosexual relationship, both of them should be killed. They shall be stoned. And what does God do in this last time? And when he pours out his wrath on the world, he stones it. He stones it. Not with boulders this big, but boulders that are huge, that he can precision guide from heaven. And he's going to, this rock, this mountain, whatever this is, it's going to be huge. It's going to land right in the ocean. It's going to affect all of the oceans, the seven seas, the Arctic, the North Atlantic, South Atlantic, the North Pacific, the South Pacific, the Indian Ocean, the Southern Oceans. All of these saltwater bodies on the earth are going to be affected. They are going to be affected. And in fact, on Exodus chapter 7, we see another judgment that God brought upon Egypt. And let me just read it to you. It's in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear thus says the lord god boy whenever somebody says thus says the lord god especially someone like moses you'd better be listening (sighs) think of how many things they've already gone through you think by after the third time i'd be like okay i believe you but isn't it amazing how hard our hearts can be we can go through one thing after another and god will forewarn us every single time Nah, it's, it's just a coincidence are you kidding me no coincidences He says, but thus says the Lord God, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. And then in verse 9, back in our text this morning, it says that a third, as a result of this mountain, this meteor, this whatever it is, as a result of it hitting the oceans, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I should think so. I mean, just think about the chemical makeup, whatever this thing is. Not, 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 not to mention just the percussion of this hitting the earth and this mass, such large as it is. It might even tilt the earth in a different axis. It's going to be so big, and it's going to hit so hard. Who knows what it's capable of doing, but the tsunami that comes? Guess what? Anybody docked along anywhere around the coastlines, anywhere in that area of the world, it's all going bye-bye. Does that make sense? It does. Henry Morris said this. He said, These constitute the lowest and the most basic components of many of the world's food chains. He's speaking of the, the sea life. So 
so their destruction must produce a domino effect on many higher forms of life. And that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, there was already famine in some of the first seals that we were looking at, but now as a result of this thing coming, it's going to further kill the animals in the sea. No more sushi, folks. No more fish fries on Friday nights. It's going to be significant. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.